I feel like we rambled, or at least I did. I feel like my brain is like shutting off. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jason Joe, a medical student from the University of Toronto. And I'm Dr. David Chu, a family doctor in Toronto, Ontario. And you're listening to What's, What's Up Docs, a podcast where we share stories about our lives in medicine. Welcome aboard. So Dr. Su, I think this is probably one of our fastest continuations um, of our podcast. Usually we don't get episodes out this quick. Well, it's actually, it's definitely one of the most bizarre episodes we've ever recorded. We've never recorded an episode online. So to the listeners, um, Dr. Sue and I were actually doing this in our own respective homes for the first time, not recording in the public library and uh, just, you know, on our own laptops and trying this out. Yep. It's a brave new world out there, ladies and gentlemen. So I think the topic that's been on everyone's minds is the whole pandemic going on in the world. Yeah, pandemics do have a way of doing that. Um, and I hope people are staying safe. Absolutely. So what's the setup for today's show going to be, Jason? Great question. So today what we want to do is start off by talking a little bit about how COVID has affected medical education at the clerkship level, specifically for myself and what I've been doing. And then we can talk a little bit about... Um, what Dr. Sue's been up to and what his clinic's been looking like and how he's working through this crisis. Lastly, we kind of wanted to take it a little bit more broader and talk about how does one balance the responsibilities of being a doctor and duty to your patients uh, versus your other roles in life as a father, as a son. Yeah, because the pandemic's on everyone's mind right now, right? And it's affecting our lives in crazy ways. But especially for physicians and other frontline healthcare workers, it's part of our duty to be there to, for patients. And it, this crisis kind of brings that point home. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a lot of sacrifices that everyone has to make, right? What if you have to work, but that means endangering your family? It, it feels like a, a huge moral dilemma, right? Like, who do you choose? Like, your duty to society or, or, or your duty to your family? So, go ahead. Um, no, you can start with asking me some stuff, I guess. Well, why don't we go back? Like we recorded our last episode near the end of February. Everything's hit the fan in the last month or so since then. So did you have any more clerkship after we last met? I think you still had a little bit of pediatrics to do at that point. We did. I had my last week of pediatrics. You know, our exam went fine. And then we had our March break. Right. And right. I was actually in Portugal, actually in the island off of Portugal by two hours okay. for five days, pretty much like right before the travel ban. <laughs> and everything went fine. It was such a beautiful time. I went there with a really good buddy and it was so relaxing. Like, I'm really glad I went. So after March break, we had started the second half of our clerkship. So everyone did one week of rotations before. <laughs> yeah, they pretty much announced it on the weekend of the... Uh, 14, 15th, that they're going to suspend clerkship for all Canadian medical schools, all 17 of us, up until July 6th at the earliest. You mean it's off until July of this year at this point? Yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> so when you came back from the trip, at that point, did you have to do a quarantine or you didn't? Like, uh, Because at some point, all travelers from certain parts of the world were told to stay home for two weeks. But that hasn't that didn't kick in until a little bit later, I think. The uh, policy that we had was we had to fill out a form to say like, oh, this is where we traveled and we have to um, send it to the hospital and then we should 
um, talk to the occupational health at the hospital. And if we developed any symptoms of like cough, fever, runny nose, Mm -hmm. we were told Mm -hmm. to stay home and self-isolate. Right. Pretty much as long as you didn't have any symptoms, if you came back from traveling and you were, and you went to one of the lower risk places or you didn't go to, or you did not go to a high risk place, you didn't have to self-isolate at that time. Right. Now you're in isolation. (laughs) What's that like as a med student? Like I'm trying to imagine like for me at your age, if I was in isolation, it would just be a lot of sitting around in my apartment alone playing video games or surfing (laughs) the internet. Like I don't actually know what a 20 something year old does on isolation. So it's very confusing and I'm, and I actually had now what, two weeks to reflect on it and talk to friends about it. Right. But the main theme that I kind of feel then and I kind of feel now is this like roller coaster of emotions. Mm -hmm. It seems like you're being presented two equally uh, reasonable options, but they seem like they're opposing views. So as an example, I think um, for myself, when they first announced to suspend clerkship for two to three weeks, I was actually um, kind of relieved um, in a certain sense. I felt like, you know, we can have this time to relax and and to like um, spend some time, you know, reading up on things and catching up on things. Um, but at the same time, I felt kind of guilty, you know, but it it, it also feels like, oh, like every, you know, my friends and colleagues and mentors, they're out there and they're, you know, putting their lives on the line and to, to do their job. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're maybe a year and a half from graduation. You're, it, it just kind of feels like you're a kid and all the adults, I don't know, are going to, to war or something like that. But obviously <laughs> war is not a fun thing to go but right. most right. everyone in your community and people you look up to are out there doing something mm-hmm. but you're mm-hmm. sitting at home and, and i think it left me with a lot of guilt it left me with a lot of like you know out on one hand i was like oh okay i'm not forced to be out there to risk my life but then i felt guilty in feeling relief from that you know it, it was just it was just like a constant debate in my own head Right. About like what I should be doing. And you're just bombarded with news because you have nothing better to do, nothing better to occupy your time. Like you're always kind of ruminating with these thoughts. Right. So Mm -hmm. I would say the first week was very difficult. Um, My sleep was terrible. My mood was like really bad. I think overall to summarize it, I would say I felt a sense of loss, like a loss of identity because for the past six months, maybe even longer. Right. We knew what our role was, right? Our role, full-time, clinical clerk, we go into the hospitals, you know, we have a, we have set duties we gotta do, right? There was a tight schedule and now it's like, that's all gone. Right. So like this right. transition period just felt like, uh, it, it felt like you lost something and you, you're just like, uh-oh, what do I do now? Right. Well, I think what you're feeling is probably what a significant proportion of like human race is feeling right now because the virus has upended everyone's routine pretty much. And absolutely, even the people who are doing the things they used to do are doing it in a different way, right? Like, you know, a lot of people work, I was at the grocery store and there's people working at the grocery store bagging groceries and they're still doing their shifts and stuff, but it's much more frightening now for them, right? Like Mm -hmm. this thing has cut through all walks of life. And I appreciate what you're saying because I'm sure there's this feeling that like, you want to do more, mm-hmm. but you've been kind of put on the sidelines. That's not an uncommon thing. Like, I, I guess you made the wartime analogy. I think 
in times of crises, people want to contribute, right? And this feeling that we're stuck here and they're saying, you you have nothing to contribute. You're more of a da- danger to yourself <laughs> than to anything else. I mean, that's painful to swallow. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better at all, mm-hmm. at some point in your long career in medicine that you can look forward to, mm-hmm. this will come around again. And next time you won't be on the sidelines because <laughs> I feel like that feeling I've gotten from all the older doctors is this stuff comes around once in a while. Right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people were around for SARS, right? And so for them, they kind of accepted that this is part of the career of a doctor. Mm-hmm. At some point, it'll come around. And we can't go into our career thinking, okay, you know what? Nothing's ever going to happen while we're on watch. The world's complicated, and we can see how ill-prepared we are as as a planet for these things. Mm-hmm. Stuff's going to happen. So I don't know. My message to you is hang in there. Try not to feel bad about it because there will come a time when you will be needed. <laughs> don't worry. You know, I talk to other people about it, and... Luckily, I talked to some other doctors about it, too, and they said, you know, this is just pretty much the beginning and that, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe in the coming month, there will be a lot of roles for you to do, um, (laughs) depending on how this this thing goes. Right. I I think a good way to summarize it, too, is that one of my classmates said that, you know, everyone wants to do the right thing, but no one really knows what that is at this point because everyone's kind of like scrambling, like. Even myself, like, should I just be staying at home and like self-isolating? Is like, is that enough? You know, as a medical student, should I be, um, you know, you, you see a lot of these opportunities pop up, whether that's really great initiatives by medical students to um, babysit or dog walk or get groceries for physicians who are too busy or to canvas different businesses and ask if they have any like masks or gloves that they can donate mm-hmm. to hospitals or even now a new opportunity to help, you know, public health do some contact tracing. Right. So you're kind of like, well, what should I actually be doing? And, and you, you feel like you should be doing everything, but at the same time, it just felt overwhelming. And, and obviously everyone else is overwhelmed too. Right. So like one thing that I was wondering when I, when all this was happening and I was thinking about like, you know, we're supposed to meet up and do a podcast. Most of the people that listen to the show at some point have heard like Jason's not actually from Toronto. Like he's a student here, but his family's back in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. So what's it like? Like you're not even home. Like at some point, a lot of schools like sent people home, right? Right. Like a lot of universities in the U.S. closed and they told everyone to go home, be with your family. I mean, part of that's just the schools washing themselves of the responsibility of like if an outbreak happens on campus, at least it's not happening here. It'll happen somewhere else. I mean, what's it like being away from home at this point? I feel like, again, it's mixed emotions. Since I'm away from home, I can do things a little bit with less guilt, I would say. Um, I know that like a lot of friends uh, who are living with their parents or grandparents or someone who's sick in the family, like they're a lot more cautious. You know, even now I'm very cautious when I go outside for a walk. But I think if I was living with my parents, I would be like extremely, extremely cautious about everything I do in in terms of like giving them risk. And I actually feel a little bit freer, if that makes any sense, to be be in Toronto. And, but at the same time, I feel like if my parents or my grandparents got sick, you know, I would fly back in a heartbeat Mm -hmm. um, and to be with them. But I feel like for now, the best course of action for me is to kind of stay in Toronto and, you know, do my own thing here and check in with them like every day and see how that goes. Right, and they're doing okay at this point. Yeah, they are. Okay, good to hear. I mean, what about like, like we talked about this on other episodes, like this feeling of not fitting in in Toronto and you know, this isn't your home, but then mm-hmm. you kind of have your own community here. What's the community 
like for you like as a med student now especially a visiting med student where there's probably other others of your classmates that are like hunkered down in their apartment stuff too right i feel like this past year i've been getting a lot more used to toronto i think okay. a lot more friends are here my partner is also here and so like being like hang out with her and then her parents are here and so it felt like i have more of a foothold here in toronto mm-hmm. and it and it feels a lot nicer than than it did before and you know my roommate and i were we're also great friends and um you know having him here too is really great as well and right. there's you know yeah i think over time you just develop a lot of close connections it's good to hear good to hear this is a difficult time for everybody i'm sure so mm-hmm. any sense of community you can you have going into it is an advantage so on your end how has this affected what you do for work Oh, my work is like all over the place now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, every you asked me this question a week ago or two weeks ago, I give you a different answer. Mm-hmm. But right now, like it's it's late March and the clinic that I'm in is basically we've kind of basically closed it. So we're doing exclusively like telephone call or virtual healthcare at this point. I mean, as the pandemic started to spread, the Ministry of Health they, they pass these emergency billing codes so we can bill for visits where we just talk to people on the phone. Mm-hmm. Whereas normally we need to see people face to face or else we can't bill it. And I think they've used these codes in the past, like during other outbreaks, but none of the outbreaks have been as severe as this one. So I don't think I had used any of these codes before in the past. And so we're doing like 98% of the visits like over the telephone. There's the occasional well baby, like the two-month-old, four-month-old that needs their shots or some specific thing will pop up once in a while. Like a patient needed like an injection for like a cancer treatment or something and they had to come down to our office. Wait, so then you would meet them at the office? Yeah, so we'll meet them at the office and then I'll go home after that and then continue doing phone calls the rest of the day. Oh. And so it's a different, it's a different pace. We've had to deal with a lot of different like administrative issues. Like we've had to figure out like even the doctors aren't here, but the front staff still have to sit in the office answering the phone. So they're they're sitting in an empty office and even little details like I've assigned the front staff to work in different corners of of the office so that they're not mingling with each other anymore much. Mm. And they take their lunches at staggered times in this empty office. Like it's pretty desolate in a way if you think about it. Yeah. Which parts of your work did you feel like, you know, you you said you and do a vast majority of this stuff over the phone. But do you feel like the quality of which is is different? Like what's the big difference between talking on the phone and going into and seeing your doctor? Well, that's the difference between you and me recording this thing over Skype and actually recording it face to face. It's a big difference, right? Fair. Well, we're doing pretty well here. So we're doing, yeah, you can muddle through, right? So especially here, like Jason and I are actually using Skype so we can see an image of each other. But when I see the patients, I've been using telephone mm. exclusively because it's just easier than, than using like a portal. Um, it is different, right? And like, first of all, you can't do much of a physical exam. Right. So a lot of things in like, there are obviously those cases where I'd look at the patient and be like, okay, lift your arm up and then I make them do a couple things and I could figure out what they have. Now I'm like asking them over a telephone, like, uh, flap like a bird and as you flap, can you reach your hand all the way to the top or not? Like little, like had to make up ways to get around, not being able to actually see what I'm doing. Right. I feel like that doesn't make any sense because I feel like a lot of times the observation and your general gestalt as they call it of the patient like that's for sure that's all gone for sure 
<laughs> it's all gone, right? Mm-hmm. So physical exams gone. Your ability to really connect with people is kind of gone, mm-hmm. right? Like you can talk to someone on the phone and sort of get to know them a little bit, right? I can, you can sell them something <laughs> over the phone, but how are you going to talk to somebody about something really serious, right? That's bubbling under the surface of something mm-hmm. unless you're face to face with them. And you know how like they always say, like if you have an important thing to tell someone or like an important deal, then do it face to face because with face to face, you can start to read body language. You can read facial expressions. There's all these other levels of communication that are happening beyond just the words that we're exchanging. And that stuff's all gone too. So it is really difficult to do it well over the phone. And I think patients realize that. And the visits are different, right? Like normally patients will come in and we'll chit chat about other things and even a basic visit, like to refill some medications, we'll talk around it and do a little bit more. Now it's just like, you know, I guess because their investment is so low, right? They're just sitting at home anyway. And I just call them They're like, okay, I just need these pills refilled. And I'll be like, okay, fine. Anything else? No, bye. See you later. Right. Normally like they took a morning off. They came all the way into the office. If they're sitting there waiting for me for 10 minutes before I appear. Mm. So by the time I refill their pills, we, we have to do something else like to, for everyone to feel they got their money's worth. But over the phone, it's, it's, it's easier in that sense. Cause no one's putting anything into it. We, we can just move on. It's very like, nuts and bolts just Mm. do the basics but it's not great i don't really see myself doing this for a long time Mm. well do you feel like you've or like patients have like self-triage themselves more so that you see you know less of that like uh, i don't really know what to do like yeah i i know what you're saying like i mean honestly nobody wants to go anywhere right now right like most of my patients are afraid to buy groceries so the very last place they want to go is to the doctor's office which is like a cesspool of of sick people on a normal day Mm -hmm. what we've done in the office actually is we have the nurse and the front staff doing triage constantly now like up the phone right so when they call we ask them what they're calling for if they're calling for you know simple stuff that can be dealt with over the phone Sometimes I don't even need to get like directly involved. The nurse will just send me a message saying, oh, this patient ran out of this medication, just refill it. So we can just send that along without having to waste time with more phone calls. And, um, and then, so the triage is the big thing. And then we can sort of identify, like a lot of people have been calling worried about the virus, mm. right? And so those are tricky ones because right now, like there isn't much to do for a lot of these patients that have mild forms of the virus. Like Mm. we're told that if there's certain level of severity or higher risk, then those people need to be screened at the hospital, but not even here at the hospital testing sites. So there's very little we can do except sort of monitor their situation over the phone. And then when we hear that it's worsening, then send them in for testing. So a lot of patients, if they have travel history and symptoms, you don't even tell them to go get tested or anything like that. It's just self-isolation at home until symptoms get worse. Well, if right now the guideline right now is if they have a travel history and you're a high suspicion that they have the illness, you should test those. Mm-hmm. So if they have a travel history or a, a close contact of someone that's already been proven to have coronavirus, they should get tested. But everyone else, and there's a lot of these who are, it's a challenge because we know that local transmission occurs now, right? Mm-hmm. So there's people transmitting it around Toronto. You don't need to know anyone that traveled or, or whatever. But right now, the way the testing is set up is we're telling them not to get tested. I feel like, okay, what does close contact mean? Like, is that immediate family members or like any friend? Uh, Let's say before, right? If me and the grocery store clerk, like we maybe we have a conversation or or whatever it is. Are you standing within six feet or beyond six feet radius? Anyone you're within six feet of is technically a close contact. I think 
people you're around with for a significant amount of time, like I don't think I don't think there's a set number, mm. but if you've been around someone that you know traveled and now you're having a sore throat and a fever, then that's enough to qualify. Mm. Do you feel like, you know, after this whole thing, uh, it'll fundamentally change certain parts of family medicine? Or do you think like the telemedicine will have a bigger role to play in the future? I think it's inevitable that telemedicine will have a bigger role to play. But I do think that what we're doing right now, I, I don't think the audience should confuse what we're doing now with actual practicing medicine. Like this is just more stopgap measures, right? Mm -hmm. For people who have run out of pills, we're trying to buy them some time to save them having to come in. Like if you keep refilling your medications and never see your doctor again, you know, for, and sometimes this actually happens when there is no pandemic, right? Some people just get lazy, right? They're, they're used to their family doctor faxing them a prescription for their blood pressure pills every three months. And then if the family doctor is not using a computer, he doesn't bother to look through his system and realize, oh, I haven't seen this guy in three years. Like that stuff starts to happen, mm -hmm. right? And, and there is a certain follow-up stuff that these people should be doing. But if we don't see them face-to-face -face and remind them and they're just picking stuff up at the pharmacy thinking that's normal, something worse could happen down the road. So this is definitely not something for longer term. Mm. But having said that, I do think there is going to be a role for the technology longer term, like for getting people online, like doing video chat. It probably does save people time. It, there's the convenience factor. So for basic stuff, some stuff probably doesn't need to be face-to-face. -face. Yeah. You know, it has challenged our society to think about different ways of conducting business and, and how we interact with each other. And it'd be interesting mm, to see. Right. Uh, what comes out of it then it kind of sounds like you've been mostly at home you know with, yeah. with i guess the, the wife and kids you're like how's that been trying to trying to work well it's a it's a it's a jungle out here man <laughs> like my kids are six and three so mm -hmm. they're they're pretty young they don't really understand what's going on with this virus right right my son like every other morning will be like, daddy, am I going to school today? I'll be like, no. And he'll be like, why? And I'll say virus. And then he, at some point he just got mad. He's like, virus, virus, virus. Every time you say virus, there is no virus. Right? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Well, your son's three or six. He's three. My daughter. Oh. Yeah. And they're, they're both at the age where like for them to be at home for an extended period, mm -hmm. they love it. So okay. Like they don't, they miss, they miss school. They miss their preschool. They miss their friends a little, but mm -hmm. it's probably not the same as like, as you get older, right? Like you're really enmeshed with your friends and your peer group network mm -hmm. and being at home with your mom and dad is like murder to you. Right. Like they're at an age where it's okay. So we're okay in that sense. The bigger challenge is like my wife is also working from home as a oh. specialist. So she's doing phone calls also. So right? how does that work? Cause she's more of a procedural specialist, right? Yeah. And so I feel so like so she can't do any procedures because all those clinics have closed. So she's at home and then we kind of alternate days. So like like Monday, Wednesday, she's on the phone and I'm with the kids. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm supposed to be on the phone while she's with the kids. Oh, my goodness. So it's a bit of a jungle. So our kids know not to like bother us too much when we're on the phone upstairs. Mm. But her phone calls are more involved because as a specialist, you're seeing new consults and stuff on the phone. Those conversations take longer. Right. So it, it's a long telephone day kind of thing. I mean, it sounds like different types of doctors have been affected, obviously, by COVID in, in very different ways. A lot of times, like these procedures or more elective procedures, like for surgeons and things like that, like mm -hmm. it feels like, you know, most of their job is gone versus I feel like like emergency med or internal medicine. It seems like this is the time that they're needed the most. Right. So even 
you know how you were saying about how like you kind of felt like you're on the sidelines and you're not doing that much like even yeah. me like like i have i'm i'm like older than you and i have a job and like i'm looking after my family sometimes like my patients will be like oh like you thank you guys for like being there i'm like i'm not doing that much like i'm at home like there it's a bit of the imposter syndrome right like i'm at home i'm pretty safe i'm as safe as the next guy right so i don't know like i feel i, I really admire like all those people who are out on the front lines doing stuff like I know for myself as a family doctor, I don't think I have too many skills that are really applicable to anything like on the front lines. Really? Right? I feel like you'd be very useful, you know, because you can take care of patients. I, I feel like emerge docs like initially train as family doctors too, right? Initially, initially. I would, I think like, but because I'm not, I haven't done anything dealing with acutely ill people like face to face. That level, like that top level of the of the most serious illnesses, I would be pretty helpless with. And then I kind of feel bad about that, right? But at the same time, I'm like, okay, I understand. We all have different skill sets, right? Like a psychiatrist has a certain skill set. I'm supposed to be a navigator of the healthcare system. Like I can feel like if this crisis blew up, I could sort of help with like triaging people, right? Directing mm -hmm. people to where they need to go in the system, explaining things to people rather than the actual like get your hands dirty and like in there kind of thing but that even that in this situation kind of makes you feel kind of like inadequate right when mm. other people are really like busting it on the imposter syndrome you mentioned do you get a lot of this sense of like guilt or like fear of missing out like fomo um mm. it seems like a lot of times you know your friends your your colleagues they're they're really out there like helping out and sitting on the sidelines which is appropriate for your role and for the job do you feel like sometimes you want to do more i don't know i mean i think i think this just leads into the second half of what we wanted to talk about right which is sort of balancing your responsibilities and i feel like aside from being a physician also being like a dad and a son and having my own kids and a wife i'm also responsible for looking after these people too right mm -hmm. So you end up in this situation where you can't be everything to everybody. You can't be the savior of everybody for everything. And you're no good to anyone if you're dead. So it's one of these tricky kind of situations. And I don't know what the answer to this actually is, right? Like I think over the next few months, if the situation gets worse and hopefully it doesn't, but if it gets worse and we keep having to reevaluate what our own roles are in this, mm. we're gonna have to reevaluate the answer to this question over time, right? And it might change. Yes. Right. Depending on what our society or what people need from us. My feeling is I want to be there for my patients as much as possible. So the people who who have signed up for me to be their family doctor, then I want to provide as much family medicine service as I can to them. Mm -hmm. Right. But but there is a limit to that. Right. Like we know, like I know in my job, there are many things I cannot do. Right. Even on a regular day, which is why there are people more qualified than me to do all these other things. And I'm just sort of there to help move people towards in that direction, right? Get them mm -hmm. those appointments they need, figure out what their problem is early on, or if I can't figure it out, find the answer for them through somebody else mm -hmm. type of thing. And so I get this, I get that idea that we all have limitations, right? But problem is you get to a point as this crisis gets worse that, that everyone gets stretched, right? So you're going to end up having to do some stuff outside of your comfort zone. I mean, so yeah, that is the second part of our show where we kind of delve into deeper about how do you balance conflicting responsibilities in mm -hmm. your personal life and in your work life. I feel like that's something a lot of doctors now are facing and a lot of, you know, other healthcare professionals, 
you know, nurses, respiratory therapists, and even grocery store clerks, right? You know, you're deemed an essential service and people need you to help out and you feel like you have this this owing towards society, right? I feel like probably as a physician, it seems like, you know, the taxpayers kind of pay for the system, you know, but this is the time that, that they need you the most, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like it's it, it's almost like, how do you how do you balance it? Like if it came down to it, like who do you choose? Your mm-hmm. family or your patients? And I and I feel like there's no it's it's just it's just so hard to even wrap my head around it. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially for you, probably as a younger person too, right? Like mm-hmm. honestly, the question changes completely when you have your own children. Mm-hmm. Even when you're married and you you know, your wife and you are both adults, it's one thing, but then you got these little guys that are kind of relying on you it's nuts like it's it's impossible to think of life that way right Mm -hmm. and i i really respect people who are out there on the front lines because we need them on the front lines they've trained for it some they're doing what they can and especially with this particular crisis you know we're hearing about shortages of equipment lack of beds in the hospital lack of trained personnel Mm -hmm. to do the things that need to be done like it's crazy and I don't know what the right answer is because on the one hand, I think it's admirable that people are willing to do that. Like, I think it's admirable for soldiers to fight in the name of freedom, right? Right. But at the same time, I kind of feel like if someone's scared and says, you know what, I don't want to go. Like, you know, I got two elderly parents. I got a little baby that needs me, right? And I'm going to go hide under the bed. Like, as a society, we're kind of trained to like look at that guy and be like, man, that guy's a wimp. Like, that's a sellout. Like, he's there when medicine's paying for his nice car, but he's not there when we need him. Right. But at the same time, people get afraid, right? Like, we're all human beings. And you look at a doctor, he's a guy. You know, he's studied a lot. He's He knows stuff, but he's also just another person, right? And people sometimes get caught up in fear. People get caught up in hysteria. People get caught up in happiness and joy too, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's fair for us to pigeonhole those people also. Right. A lot of the people that go to battle, they come back like horribly like angry and depressed for decades afterward, right? Like even after SARS, right? Like a lot of the healthcare workers... You know, they can't sleep for decades after that thing happened or they lost their buddies on the front line. Like it's no different from like wartime PTSD. And I don't I don't know if it's fair for us to look at people and be like, you know what, like he didn't go. He's not up to the task and, you know, like that kind of thing. No, you're totally right. And I feel like in certain times when other people are scared and you need people to step up and the people that you expect to step up don't step up. Like I feel Mm -hmm. like you almost take your own fear and turn it into like anger, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot easier to be angry at someone else than right. to admit that you're scared yourself. Right. Um, it's something that I've been, you know, grappling with. Because right. I feel like, yeah, like it sounds like you have a duty. If you mm-hmm. sign up to be a doctor, like you sign up to kind of do this, right? It's kind of like if you sign up to be a soldier and someone's saying, oh, there's a war somewhere and we kind of need you to, you know, go. Right. You can't just right. be like, jokes like you know I, I you know i'm not gonna go like can't just be there for when the times are good I feel like these are all part of the job description but at right. the same time i also get it like there is no answer i mean and i i mean you're painting it in like the best case scenario right like like a hundred years ago when your country told you to go to war right and you're gonna fight the nazis or something then you're gonna go right and the history books say that that's a good thing to do but now your country tells you to go to some like you know, Middle Eastern country to do something that you don't agree with personally or half the country thinks is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. 
and do you still got to go, right? Or you go and you do something, you come back and no one appreciates it, right? Mm-hmm. Because no one wanted you to go in the first place. Like all these weird scenarios are happening. With COVID, it feels like it's like we're sending people to do stuff right. because we expect it, but we don't have a really clear plan. Mm-hmm. A lot of it may not work. We're considering asking people to be out of their element, right? We're considering... Right. I've heard all sorts of stories like like provinces are considering bringing back retired doctors yeah. to boost like the ranks in British Columbia, right? Mm-hmm. Or giving like later year residents like an early license so they can start working right away. Like maybe, I don't know. I don't know if this is the best way, like putting people in situations that they're not comfortable with. Yeah. But you know, like desperate times calls for desperate measures. I feel like there's an argument to be made that life always throws curveballs at you and like you're never really ready. Right, because mm-hmm. no one prepared for this, and and you can say that everyone in our society is not ready. Absolutely, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the fear aspect of it, because I think that's a big part of it. Like, for me, during this particular last few, maybe the last month or two, mm-hmm. as we've started to hear doctors like talking about it and talking about the crisis potentially getting really bad. And, you know, most of us have seen the video clips from Italy and other countries where their ICUs are swamped. And and it's not, and a lot of the doctors that, we're, that we've heard from are not people who are alarmist. They're not the people who are running around usually telling people the sky's falling, but they're the ones that are really, really worried now, right? Mm-hmm. So I think when they're worried, then that's going to make all of us worried. Right. And so I think all of us are sitting here on pins and needles because we're worried that something out of control is going to happen and we're going to see some crazy numbers and there's going to be a lot of, you know, death and, and sickness that we can't manage, mm-hmm. right. In a, in a, in a short order. I mean, that's a legit fear. I don't think we should like downplay it and say like, you know what, just put that to rest and do your job. <laughs> right. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's an oversimplification to t- just expect everyone to be able to do their job in the face of that. But I do think in a time like this, like people need to sort of, be together mm-hmm. you know not not together physically like we're all in isolation but mentally like be on the same page that we're all in this for each other and try to help each other out as much as we can even if it's just little things yeah and i, and I feel like fear can consume you like when you're faced with danger and when you're faced with with fear when it comes to like your job or something like that you know how do you deal with it it's not like there's a handbook to like how do you deal with fear like everyone has different answers we are often hearing about problems and wars happening in other parts of the world and starvation and poor sanitation and and you know but it hasn't intimately affected you and i feel like this is the global thing that affects everyone right and so a lot of times even though we know about all these horrible things that happen around the world for a lot of us didn't really have to face it right the scale of this thing is unprecedented, right? Like children all around the world are not going to school suddenly. Like prior to this, children around the world never had this had to stay home from school for extended periods en masse, right? I don't I don't really know what the answer is in terms of how everyone should face fear. I mean, the world's too complicated and people are too complicated for that. I'm just glad that there are people who, you know, this is where we need leaders, right? People mm-hmm. who come out and, you know, lead by example and show us what we need to do. In general, 
if we're over, like you said, if we're consumed with fear and hysteria, like I, one of my problems during this is in this day and age, because this thing is happening in 2020, everyone's on their phone, on social media, we're reading the tweets. Yeah. I mean, this stuff's insane, right? Like some point last week, I'm like, I got to turn this off. I was telling my wife, like, you got to turn this off. Like, You don't turn this thing off a few hours before bed. We're not going to be able to sleep Yeah. because there's no end to these articles. And then a lot of it's fake too, right? There's a lot of these articles floating around. Some of it's real. Some of it's like, you don't even know who's writing this stuff. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, stuff like that's not helpful, right? And I do think we need to, in order to move away from a fear-based at least have some concrete idea, like, you know, follow what's going on, have some concrete idea of what's going on, and then have a co- concrete idea of what you're going to do on a day-to-day basis as mm-hmm. a plan, right? Mm-hmm. With your family or with your with whoever it is you can help out. And if we start to think about, like, Italy and think about all these countries, I mean, this overwhelming. Like, we, we probably just need to compartmentalize it in a way. Yeah, and when it comes to fear, we have a natural tendency to either fight or flight. In other sorts of like natural disasters, I think there is something for people to do in certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like if you can keep yourself busy, like whether that's a menial task or, or, or whatever it is, or, you know, even let's say like stacking like sandbags, like along a riverbank or like whatever it is and do something. I feel like it kind of takes your mind off of it. But in this sense, it's like we can't, like you have all this pent up like fear, which like heightens your senses. But then you're just staying at home. You have all, I feel like I have more energy and I'm more restless than usual. Right. I don't know where to put this energy. I don't know what to do with it as energy. And so I just end up being like super frustrated. Um, right. And I feel like a lot of people feel like that. And like, I think chronic stress ends up leading to, to, to a lot of like bad health outcomes. <laughs> well, I mean, if you hadn't said that, like, I would not have thought of that as being a state of mind because I've been so busy <laughs> ever since this thing happened, mm-hmm. like with the children at home, like suddenly, like I'm their teacher, I'm the housekeeper, I'm the cook mm-hmm. with my wife and we're checking in on our parents, we're buying all the groceries for everybody. Like it's gotten nonstop, right? And like you asked me, like, when can we record the podcast? I'm like, we can record when the kids have gone to bed. Like there's no time from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. to do anything else in life. And like yesterday, I actually, after dinner, I just, my legs felt so heavy. I was like, I hope I'm just really tired and this isn't the virus because I'm wiped out. Like these Mm -hmm. days are just packed, right? So like for me, my life is full of tasks, right? So it's a little bit different than your vantage point. But I like what you're saying about the how our, re- our response is to fear. Because I think some people have this thing, like in this day and age, where when they hear this scary news, mm-hmm. their brain either goes into hysteria mode, which I guess would be the flight, or they go into like, you know what? I don't believe this. This ain't happening. Right. right? I'm going to continue to go to the store as is until they give me a ticket. Or I'm going to go line up and buy something I don't need because I can. Right. And I'm like, people need to kind of be in the middle. Right. Like I don't we don't need to be hysterical about everything. But at the same time, like as a physician, I feel like listen to your doctor, listen to the public health. Like they're telling you stuff for a reason. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like the, like it's driving me nuts that there's people who don't care about any of this. Right. And they're still floating around out there. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I feel like the fight or flight thing is still happening and we need to be kind of in the middle, like stay calm, but be objective and, you know, talk to people, be part of the community and work on this together and we'll get through it slowly. No, absolutely. And I think it's gotten better for me over these past two weeks as I've slowly kind of come to terms with the current state. 
And mm-hmm. slowly, slowly, you know, I'm picking up more tasks. I'm finding out ways I can help out more. Yeah, I think this week has gone on a lot better than last week. And so hopefully <laughs> that trend will continue for the next three and a half month <laughs> until July. So do you, I mean, I guess to wrap up, like, do you have a plan at all? Like, of the next three months like in your head i mean nobody has any plans mm-hmm. but like loosely like what are some of the ideas floating around for the next few months like you'll hang out in toronto for now i guess yeah i was thinking um you know if things settle down a bit i might go back and see my parents for a bit but uh i'm kind of trying to take it you know a week or two at a time like i think my broad goals would be my role as a medical student still hasn't changed and so mm-hmm. i'm still gonna you know self-study self-learn and catch up on my other projects and keep doing the podcast and, you know, keep working out, you know, obviously work out at, at home and I just follow YouTube videos and jump them up and down. <laughs> yeah. And then try to eat on time, sleep on time, like set a schedule for myself and, and set right. some goals that mm-hmm. I want to accomplish. I'm also aware that like next week, something could like, you know, the, the world could be completely different and <laughs> you got to kind of got to be okay with like change and adapting to that um, right. as well. So Yeah. I would say, you know, take it day by day or week by week and know that it'll eventually get better. We just got to hang in there. I think that's the bottom line. Like none of us knows the answers to any of these questions. It's Mm -hmm. just a challenging time for everybody. All right. I guess that's the end of our episode. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we have a clear plan of what our future episodes will bring, but we will try to bring out another episode in about a month's time as we usually do. Yeah. And hopefully things have changed for the better by then. Or we can do another topic or we can just do a random topic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or continue getting inside Jason's brain as he deals with coronavirus. Exactly. I'd just like to finish off by saying thank you to all our audience for listening to our shows over the last, what has it been, like six, seven months? Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, when we started this project, I didn't know where it was going to go, but it's been a really good time so far. I hope people have enjoyed listening to our episodes and listening to some of our thoughts about medicine and our careers in medicine and we promise we have a lot more content to come as soon as our lives sort of get into a bit more of a routine awesome good night good night